0: Welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Cleantechnica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com.
1: Welcome to another episode of Cleantech Talk. I'm Zach Shahan, CEO of Cleantechnica. And today I'm talking with Dr. Saad Dara, CEO and co-founder of Mangrove Lithium. I think we'll just start off just to get a little bit more background on how he got into this industry and what led him to this career. Dr. Saad. Thank you. Thanks for,
0: thanks for the introduction. To that. How did I get started in this sector? I was doing my PhD at the University of British Columbia, where I had an interesting project that I was working on. And, and that project went from one thing to another, and I, I was interested in starting up a company, so I took that technology and I spun out Mangrove Water Technologies Limited. We, we were focusing on desalination and water treatment from the oil and gas sector, or even the mining sector, and quickly we realized that water treatment is a very difficult market. We, <laughs> we were speaking to uh, one of the lithium producers in Chile, and, you know, I asked him, hey, can we, can we produce some chemicals for you from the, the salt water that you guys produce? And he said, yes, you can. But you know what would be more interesting is if you could convert our lithium chloride uh, into lithium hydroxide. Can you do that? And I said, yeah, we can do that. There's no reason why we can't. And so that's how we got involved in the lithium refining space and we got involved in lithium processing. That was in, you know, 2018, 2019. The world hadn't gone crazy yet about Lithium, but you know I, I like to think we're a little bit ahead of the curve on, on, on using electrochemistry there. And so we, we started focusing on that, and now here we are trying to
1: build our first uh, commercial plant. Yeah, right before the price spike, but uh, yeah, so I see you're co-founder and CEO of Mangrove Lithium. Just curious about your other co-founder as well, Alfred Lamb, uh, who's on the board of directors. What's your connection and how did that you know come about? between you two? Sure. Alfred is uh, not the
0: only co-founder with me. So there's two other co-founders, David Wilkinson and Arman Bonakdarper as well. So, you know, I should recognize them. Al- Alfred and I hey, were, were grad students together a long time ago. It, we we started working on this technology together. He went to join Chrysalix Venture Capital, you know, mid-2013. It was the, the the technology that we were developing was the last thing he was working on when he left grad school. And uh, him and I kind of was, you know, the same time where I was going to start my PhD. Uh, and so him and I said, like, you know, can we structure my, my grad studies in a way that we could spin out company by the end of, uh, of, uh, of my studies? And the way we thought about it was that technologies need to be an investable point. And so we sat down with uh, two of the other co-founders, David Wilkinson and Arman, and we said, OK, if we're going to do this, what are the milestones that we need to hit that in four years or five years or whatever it takes to finish grad school? You know, you are at a point where the technology is at an investable stage. And so that was that was the the path that I took for my grad studies. I wasn't very interested in you know, the fundamental electrochemistry and science. That's that's a very interesting part as well. But I was really interested in moving technology towards commercialization. And so that's that's what I focused on with with. Alfred, Uh, David Wilkinson, if you don't know, is one of the pioneers in fuel cells. He he was involved with Ballard Power Systems, who produced the first commercial fuel cells for buses in Canada. I think, you know, if you look at the number of patents issued, I think he's at close to 90 applications and patents. And the number two in that sector is at like 30 or something. And then Arman is a research associate, possibly one of the smartest people I've ever met much, much smarter than, than me or Alfred, but uh, he, he's he's still involved at the university as uh, as an associate, research associate.
1: Yeah, so it looks like a great team. Yeah, I see they are technical advisors as well as others on the leadership team, but I think we can jump into the, the subject a bit more. I like the intro on how you got into the, the lithium and chemistry refining business, but I'm sure you're well aware that there's very little lithium refining outside of China. So I'm just a little bit more curious about that conversation and about sort of how you looked at the marketplace at the time, especially once you sort of got that request, uh, how you scoped things out and thought, thought about it. I think 70% of the world's lithium is
0: Argentina, Chile, Bolivia, and Australia, uh, some, something, something around those, I don't remember the exact number. But when you talk about downstream chemical refining onwards in the lithium supply chain, I think over 80 percent of that exists in China for good reasons. They have a huge market. They have a huge amount of demand. The rest of the world is a little bit behind uh, on that demand. But they've really been able to dominate the market by saying that, you know, they're going to be they're doing a lot of the downstream lithium supply chain from chemical process refining, anode cathode manufacturing and use and North America and Europe are trying to catch up on that, but that's where the industry is, is right now. So there's been a lot of talk about you know, potentially creating local supply chains for EVs, for local supply chains for uh, anode cathode manufacturing. In our, in our view, if most of the world's refining is in China, you can bring all the batteries, production that you want over here, but your product will still have to go there and then come here. So what that's have you really good. on
1: short? Yeah, it's a funny thing because we've highlighted this issue a number of times. And we also do, I think, the most extensive re- reporting on EV sales uh, in different places. And China has more than half of the world's electric vehicle sales. <laughs> so yeah. you can say, yeah, about 70, 80 percent of lithium is refined there. But then about maybe 60 percent of electric vehicles are sold there. So they've done a really good job of setting up you know, full economic ecosystems for... Exactly battery producers, battery pack, battery cell, and all these inputs. So so yeah, it, it actually lines up pretty well with where, where they end up. <laughs> but as, as Europe and, and the US see rapid EV sales growth, of course we wanna have more locally sourced batteries. So where are your facilities? Right now we, we have uh, operations in Vancouver and Canada,
0: and we are working towards building our first plants in the United States. You know, I, I will say this, that right now the bottleneck is that there's not enough lithium being produced from at the mine level. But as more and more lithium does get produced from from the mine level, uh, refining capacity elsewhere will be more important, especially as we look to be less dependent on, on the Asian markets. And, you know, Canada is already seeing that. You know, we've, we've had divestors in, from Chinese investors that the government has ordered. We we're also seeing that in the United States where the Department of Defense, I think, is looking at funding Canadian mines. And so there is there is geopolitics at, at play here as well.
1: It's funny because I almost <laughs> I almost thought that you might have. I was like, did I miss something? Maybe they have facilities in China because you were so honest and open about this the situation that that's where the end market is. And really, you don't have people highlighting that a lot of people don't even, aren't even aware of that you know we we focus on how much ev sales growth there is in in Europe and in the US and and it's you know unless you follow it closely you probably miss that the majority of evs and and that's just talking cars i mean electric buses by far dominant in china electric you know two wheel two wheelers by far dominant over there but yeah there there are obviously geopolitical issues and do you want to go down that path a little bit more and talk about how you view those yeah sure and, and so I, I can add to that you know we we as i mentioned we're currently
0: in vancouver we have an operation we're building our first plants commercial plants uh, for operation in in the united states there's a couple of locations that we are working towards that that we want to put those plants in but from from our view what we really want to do in our long term strategy is to say that you know we're going to build Refining capacity using our core technology, which is electrochemical, in in North America and in Europe, so that the product that is being shipped, you know, to the Asian markets doesn't necessarily have to be shipped there; that it could be shipped here, where where we are. The other aspect of that is that we do plan on being integrated at a mine level in South America or in Australia, and, and that that provides more options to the market, and that's the long-term plan. I, you know, I think we, we have a lot of work to do. We're working towards it. We're making a lot of good progress towards it, but that's the strategic direction that we're taking the company. So you're looking to
1: actually um, buy or develop mines? I
0: wouldn't say we would get into the mine development stage. We would partner with, with mining companies, you know, exploration and... Proc- and, and, and proc- pro- Procure directly... Either that or we would partner with them beyond their site. The exploration and development of a mine is, is not a trivial undertaking. It requires a lot of expertise. And, you know, our intention is to partner with people that have very good assets, that have the ability to develop them, but maybe not necessarily have gotten to their refining part. And, and that's really where we can bring value.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you mentioned 2019. I think you said you started up. This was really, I mean, since then, the price of lithium has gone like through the roof, very high percentage. I don't know if you have any stats you want to share. I'm sure people are familiar with these very high percentage growth in lithium prices, but I don't have one in front of me right now. But I mean, basically, you know, the market has just exploded a lot faster than than i think people expected but for the past few years I, when i've talked with lithium experts they've been like you know raising you know orange yellow red flags whatever so to try to warn people like hey this needs to be dealt with like it takes five to seven years to build a mine they say some people say like nine to 13 years i don't know it depends on who you talk to but often i think for around five to seven years is what i see as the ambitious time frame for developing a mine just before you you can start you know selling any lithium from it and that this is not really the time frame that people in the auto industry have worked on for procurement. They might develop uh, cars in that time frame, but they don't they don't have to put down money to fund the you know the supply chain at that point. You know, it's more so so there's been a kind of disconnect between the different timelines not lining up and then you you have this situation you have now where lithium prices have spiked, but there seems to be a lot more concern about Later in the decade, like by you know by twenty thirty, there could be a real crunch. Is that what you're seeing? Do you have a what's your view on that that situation? I don't think
0: we're going to see the crunch later in the decade because we're already seeing it now. You know, I've been wanting to buy an EV for a while. I've looked at multiple cars, but I think almost all of them are a year to year and a half. Whether you look at a Rivian or a you know, BMW i4 or iX, partial to uh, to the BMWs, or you know, it, I think we're already seeing that crunch. That's where the prices have gone so high. If you look at the market and you look at you know where is feedstock available, nobody has feedstock. You know, people are now looking for maybe subpar lithium hydroxide and carbonate that they can they can use. It. They're trying to get their hands on on whatever they can. And yeah, auto manufacturers, I. I would imagine they they've looked at it but you know they're missing something there that there needs to be a lot more investment within that sector not just on on technologies for batteries but also on raw materials and how you process those raw materials yeah
1: and And that's that's where you come in right i mean yeah and, and
0: that's that's where we can help with our technology but you know i think we we feel very strongly that there should be and there needs to be more vertical integration for, for EV manufacturers. I think, you know, a part of that thesis is because we think that if EV adoption is going to be really wide scale, it needs to have cost parity with internal combustion engine vehicles. And that can happen if you have, if you're vertically integrated, you compress the margins. I think, I think there's about a 30 to 35% difference in, in cost. And that's not a, you know, huge fundamental difference you can bring that cost down by some incremental changes so having more lithium for closer to the mine having uh, in-house capacity for refining or battery production that that will that will bring down and and we're seeing some of that already with with tesla uh wanting to do a refinery in um in, in I think it's in texas also potentially looking to get into the mining business arguably i'd say that you know 44 billion might have been spent better on a mine than twitter maybe i should put we, it on.
1: we <laughs> should do a second episode on that that's uh, <laughs> yeah totally i was just in Texas and for Electrify Expo. And it's f- funny because that no matter who you talk to, like that, that ended up coming up. <laughs> to t- 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 Maybe t- I shouldn't, I shouldn't be talking. No, no, I'm just trying to contain myself because I, yeah, I'm tempted to talk about it too, but, but it's, but I also did hear that I got a little scoop. We'll just keep it hidden here for now that the Tesla is apparently going to be mining some, I'm not sure where the location wasn't, wasn't clear, but this is from uh, somebody high up in the in the company but yeah i mean uh, clearly there's been a lot of requests for tesla to get more involved for for years and there's st- they're the most involved but i've i'm still a little bit surprised and confused that they haven't haven't gotten more involved i mean i i get it it's a big commitment it's a, it's a different a different industry a difficult thing but you would just think it led there but then on the you know legacy automaker side I mean, I've had people say that, you know, they don't even have geologists on their team or, or they're just starting to get like one geologist. They don't have a team of people like Tesla has. You know, you, you mentioned kind of, you said exactly what what my opinion has been from talking to people is that they need to be more vertically integrated. They need to have more direct partnerships at this at this level of mining and refining. Are you in communication with any automakers? Of course, I'm not asking you to say since I'm sure you couldn't say who, but... Like, do you have any direct communications where where you're trying to sort of open those doors, or or they're testing the waters or something? Yeah, we we do, and you know we we work
0: not necessarily with uh, OEMs, but we do look to work with anode and cathode manufacturers. And you know, I think uh, I think the strategies on the the EV manufacturing side are are coming together. But immediately next next close to us are, are more the anode and cathode manufacturers. So we, we work closely with them, and we think that same strategy could apply to OEMs as well.
1: But not directly with any OEMs yet. yet.
0: Uh, well, you know, so BMW iVentures, as, as you're aware, is, uh, is an investor in Mangrove as well. Uh, and so right. they're affiliated with BMW. So we have some mm-hmm. communication there on what, what we're seeing on on where the company is heading. You know, it's, we're not having direct communication with BMW, I'd say, but with, with the iVentures group, I think we, we see right. where, where some things are going. We do see potential within that, um, but our most immediate customers right now are the, uh, on the uh, but, and upstream you from us. Uh, sorry, downstream from us in the the cathode anode production side.
1: Right, and and you mentioned costs. So you know, we we've done for years these total cost of ownership analyses to highlight you know lower costs over the lifetime of an EV. But when it comes down to it, a normal consumer once is going to compare the price tag at the register, so to speak. You know, and. Yeah. And like, you know, the the total cost of ownership can be the clincher that gets people to go to a new technology, which it, it can't just be as good or as cheap. It's got to be better, cheaper, you know. So so I think getting the, the upfront cost down is critical. And we've seen, like you said, we've seen the prices rise and we've seen the time frame just to get an EV, any good EV. I mean, practically any EV. The waitlist, you know, is very long, the The time, for, time frame to get one is very long, especially in North America, where we're not prioritized, like in Europe and, and China. But Vancouver is sort of a, a big EV market. So, you know, it's fitting that you're in Vancouver, actually. And, you know, it's got to be there's got to be a lot going on there. Is there a kind of forming ecosystem around EVs that you fit into in that Vancouver region or even just the the Northwest, you know, including Washington and Oregon in the US?
0: Well, we we certainly see you know, this part of the world been been quite important for electrochemistry not just for EVs but if you go way back you know, I think Molly Energy was the first commercial lithium-ion battery producer in I think the late 70s. So, you know that, and then eventually that was, that was purchased by external partners, Molly is still available, uh, still active. We've had fuel cells come out of this part of the, of the world as well. So valid power systems uh, was, was a big one. Right now we have Nano One that is, that is uh, located here. We are in Vancouver as well. So we definitely see that, you know, the, the, this, this part of the area for, and you yeah. know, when I talk about electrochemistry, that that means batteries. That means fuel cells. That means a lot of different things. So so we see a lot of activity here, and so there are there are some good companies forming here. I would like to see more. I would say that I'm in Vancouver because I just love the city. So you know, yeah, I, think we're, that's I just probably the biggest reason. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I I went there. For, I was speaking at a Renewable Cities conference in 2013, I think, and I would never have guessed it, but it, it tied for like my favorite big city I've ever been to, like with Barcelona and Paris. I was just I was like, wow, this is a really beautiful city. Sort of, you know, it's it's good that it k- stays hidden because then otherwise, you know, <laughs> it would change. But it's really a wonderful city, wonderful culture, everything about it. And it's actually where I first drove a Tesla. I went to the Tesla store. During oh, really? Right? Uh, yeah and I, I was at this event this weekend, I drove a Rivian, really phenomenal, really, I mean, I drove the iX, the BMW iX as well, and the i4, and I would go, I mean, I'm not a big vehicle guy, and so I, I wouldn't go with a big vehicle, but the Rivian was really nice inside, so I sort yeah. of, uh, so I've was the iX. My, <laughs> I I've had my, eyes,
0: my eye on the iX for, for a while. The uh, iX is special he, too. Yeah, i you know, I I have an X3 right now, and we got that once once we had our daughter last year. So you know, I've I've been trying to move towards an IX, but it's <laughs> the wait time has been has been oh, a yeah, concern. No. Plus, plus, you know, I, I think i like like you said, cost is cost is an important driver
1: within these things too, and we <laughs> have to right. bring the cost down. Yeah, they're like, oh, we'll jack up five thousand, ten thousand. <laughs> <So, laughs> I should have commented um,
0: on those. Things. Was, yeah, <laughs> but.
1: But yeah, I I was I was impressed with it. But I was also surprised that it was even out that several of these EVs were there. I was like, oh wow, they have EVs available yeah. to test drive. <laughs> like like well, some, were not. Because...
0: The, I've been seeing them on the, I've roads now. So you know, I'm I'm kind of getting jealous and envious <laughs> the people that have had them and like oh, oh I missed it. And so I think I should I should push harder on it.
1: Yeah. And so are you from that region, or are you from are you American or Canadian, or you, are you from? The- <laughs> Yeah. no
0: I'm uh, I was born and I grew up
1: in Pakistan uh, oh, and, okay
0: and yeah, then I, I I knew that
1: whoops sorry
0: yeah, no no I, uh, and I lived in Kuwait which is where I went to high school and then I came to Canada to do my undergrad and you know let's just say I forgot to leave um, so okay. you know, so no my you know I'm, I'm, I consider myself from Vancouver now uh, but I was born and I grew up in in Pakistan in the Middle East
1: okay well to me i don't know i'm not i talk to a lot of foreigners and you know figure i I can tell when someone's from but your accent just i thought you were had more of a north northwest uh, uh, <laughs> accent going on there but yeah i'll well, take that as a compliment i've uh
0: i don't know i didn't even know i had an accent
1: <laughs> yeah well people tell me all the time i've i lived in poland for 11 years and now people all the time tell me i have an accent i'm like I'm from Florida. Like, what do you mean? But I've enough people have told me out of the blue that I, I understand it's for real. I just don't know. Don't hear it. And don't know where it comes from. But yeah, uh, well, that's an interesting journey. So, I mean, that's really a fascinating journey. Actually. Do you have, do you have more on how you made that journey from Pakistan through, I mean, Kuwait, of course, your parents must have brought you there because you were in high school. But he used to sail a lot
0: on oil tankers and gas tankers, uh, you know, around, around the world. So eventually, they, they, the company that he worked for, they moved him into the the headquarters where he was kind of managing the fleet and operations from there. So we moved to Kuwait and then I, I had to, you know, once I finished high school, I, I was looking at universities and I think I only applied for McGill University of British Columbia where I ended up and Rose Hellman and Illinois Urbana-Champaign and for, for financial and family reasons, I came to Vancouver. So we, really? yeah, we, couldn't, we couldn't have uh, afforded the, <laughs> some of the private school uh, tuitions in, in the United States or, or out-of-state tuitions. So I came, to, I came to Canada. I've been here since. I did my bachelor's in chemical engineering at UBC. Then I did my master's. I worked on flow batteries, redox fuel cells. We've about them stuff.
1: quite a bit as well.
0: Yeah, very interesting uh, area of technology. And then, you know, I st- started working on this and I've been focused on commercializing this technology, but, you know, diverse set of experiences within, within the electrochemistry world. Are, uh, so, you know, I'm not a, I'm not, I found that there are engineers that are far stronger than I am. <laughs> so I tend to work with them now. And I focus more on the business development strategy you know, kind of fundraising and direction of the company which is which is really something i enjoy and so at yeah, different different paths to getting to this point
1: well so much is hyper niche nowadays it's like you know niche of the niche of the niche and then you know, within that realm, of course, like finding, you know, your personal strengths is always always important. I think uh, just to even feel like you're enjoying your work sometimes. But well, I'm like many people. One of my favorite comedians is Kamil Nanjani. So I'm. I first of all, I'm just I imagine you must really enjoy his comedy. But how much of his uh, his stories about his youth in Pakistan are sound legit? This is very very legit. It sounds very legit to an <laughs> outsider. You know, Zach, uh, Karachi's 25 million
0: people, but we don't all know each other. Um, yes, I know. But <laughs> just, is, you know. It's definitely relatable. Uh, it's definitely relatable, and I quite enjoy his comedy, too. I don't think I've... I, don't, I haven't seen him live uh, yet, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's
1: there's a lot there. I, you know, I, He I likes guess. to tap into his, you know, childhood <laughs> in Pakistan, and, you know, I'm, and you just wonder, like, how much is... I mean, some of it is obviously family, you know, specific. It's pretty accurate. It's but, pretty accurate. Uh, yeah. but 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 it's, he's just so fun. Okay, well yeah. So getting back to the U.S. market, you mentioned. I, I, I assume I was going to ask, but I said, can you say where which states you're considering for uh, operations in the U.S. Or you can't speak to that right now.
0: I, I can. We've I kind of identified three areas in North America that we, we think are hubs. We we think the the North Carolina Georgia area. Nevada and then you know kind of Ontario Quebec Michigan that that area are going to end up being hubs within 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 North America for for EV supply chain having said that you know now we're seeing a lot more activity in like Kansas uh, Arkansas and Texas as well so perhaps there will be more more than that our our priority right now we're prioritizing Nevada and North Carolina we actually have a subsidiary mangrove america llc that's incorporated in georgia and so we're we're looking at those geographies as well for for our first commercial plan and there are reasons for that in in terms of the partners we're working with as well as in terms of what we hope to accomplish in the the long run but uh, right now uh, those uh, the carolina georgia area nevada is, uh, is
1: the priority for us yeah I used to live in Piedmont area and, you know, okay. P- Piedmont lithium there. So I was like, yeah. it's quite fascinating when I started getting the batteries. And I'm like, oh, this is a lithium hub, you know, or potential yeah. future, you know, lithium uh, economic hub. Uh, so it, it is really, it's funny, but it's an interesting, interesting region. And just thinking about the potential for scaling up a, a kind of EV battery ecosystem in that region is very intriguing you know, of course, the the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 is a big deal. We've written about that. And just, you know, all of those concerns, geopolitical concerns that were discussed for years, I mean, more or less kind of, I guess you can't say resolved, but the, the IRA is 100% focused on on helping to balance things out. And very strict, you know, requirements on the on the consumer tax credit side, but then on the production tax credit side, you have just massive incentives for for four different phases of, of the battery process. So the battery mining, refine or battery mineral mining, refining, battery cell production, and battery pack production. So I assume that you are also of the opinion that this is already stimulating a lot of interest and investment in, in these regions? It is. Yeah, it is It
0: is making a difference. I mean, there are incentives for, you know, OPEX reductions and uh, tax credits on, on the OPEX side. There's also a CAPEX side. I mean, you can choose one one or the other for for creating factories, for uh, processing and refining. Uh, it is making a big impact in, you know, creating incentives for it. I know that Canada is now also looking to do some version of its own IRA uh-huh. that that will incentivize <laughs> things as well, and I think you know there there probably needs to be a lot more collaboration within within the uh, allied governments. Let's let's call it so you know U.S., Canada, UK, your EU yeah. in terms of allowing each other's companies to work uh, work together, and I yeah. think that that's more beneficial than and that's probably the the best way we can compete with with a wider market
1: yeah early on we had some canadian readers who were like well I, it's a good policy but i don't really like how it excludes canada or canadians and i was like i was like what how is that and i didn't yet know about the details of the production tax credit which yeah we we learned you know a 100 percent only for u.s operations and whatnot so is that <laughs> Is, is that why you're looking at these states, or would you be looking at those states for uh, investment on, on operations uh, anyway? No, we would be looking anyway.
0: And so, you know, some of the partners we're working with are, are in those states. And so
1: we're, we're looking at it for those reasons. But does it basically just, just help to make it all pencil out and make it, you know, make it more likely that you or partners would be investing in those? It does. It, it, it definitely
0: does. You know, I think from our side, we will have Canadian operations, but where the first plants have to go, we have to be very strategic and careful in how we choose those. In a startup world, you know, it's time is everything. And so time to market is, is the biggest thing for us. And we see faster opportunity there. Not, not necessarily because of financing or funding, only but because of other, other reasons and so but you know things like the ira there
1: they do have a big uh, big impact so looking at the ev market in general so you know a, a big reason for the i mean europe is now about 20 percent of new vehicles sold or, or electric china is above that but a big part of what happened in europe was you know europe required the automakers either sell more electric vehicles or pay massive fines and they're so they finally had to try they finally had to start selling and the percentage of auto sales or electric has skyrocketed as we document month after month for, for for years now but at the same time it sort of just busted the myth that people don't want evs because they wouldn't be able to sell them if people didn't want them and there wouldn't be one-year wait lines if people didn't want them even at this high percentage, having these these weight lines is, is sort of crazy. And then the U.S. is at now six and a half percent of new vehicle sales are electric, which is a big step up from where we were a couple of years ago, or even a year ago. But it's it's so much further below Europe and China. But do you see it? Do you just see that this that we're going to follow the same kind of trend? Do you think it's it's going to go in the same direction as Europe and China makers have shifted to realizing. We either lead on EVs or we fall behind. Yeah, I I think the demand is there. You know, I, I you, you brought
0: up a really good point, and, and this is somewhat linked to some of the demand supply gap that we're seeing right now as well. If you went back to like 2018 and 2019, the the most optimistic predictions for what the demand was going to be were too low on what we're seeing now, and I, I don't know if that's going to to remain, I think it, it, we we will be supply constrained for a while. I do see that you know people in general ha, are moving towards EVs. I think the their consumer demand is going to grow in in North America. It will grow. My my main difference that I see with Europe or within North America is a lot of things are much closer in Europe. Local transit is is, is much better. So options to move around are are typically typically much, much better in terms of mobility. In North America, everything is further away. And so, you know, longer range for batteries is required. We have less options on, Vancouver is very good, but you know, some of the other North American cities aren't very good with, with transit.
1: And so the options for having EV become yeah. more lucky Stop mentioning how lucky you are to be in Vancouver. <laughs> I'm in Florida here, where we have No, no I've um, never been to
0: Florida. Be oh, there so you here. have to visit
1: then. Yes. yes, I will be there in
0: January, so we should we should meet up. Yeah, uh, you know, I think that that I think is a, is a little bit of a difference between between Europe and China and North America.
1: Where well, we have a Dutch writer who pushes back on this because he he says that they buy cars based on their annual or sometimes twice a year road trips to Southern Europe or different places, and so they, they need long range as well. But our average miles driven a year is about twice what. A Europeans average miles driven a year is or kilometers as they would highly. But so I, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I just, I would just say that there is some, some pushback on the idea that they don't need long range as well because uh, many of them use their cars to drive south or, or north for, for, for very, or east or west. Oh, I- I don't but, yeah. I don't disagree
0: with that, but you know, on, on a given day I think I'll probably drive forty kilometers. On on my average commute ends up being forty to fifty kilometers coming to work and, and going
1: and I, I think that's quite common. And I yeah, and if you and if you throw in going to the grocery store or picking up the exactly. or there, it all I mean, I having lived with EVs for, for a few years, both places, I you know, I think there's more there's more of an inherent demand and, and, you know, sort of need for longer range in the U.S. markets, which, which you know, limits, limits the, the growth, as you're, as you're saying. That's that's what I mean. And, you know, for, for that reason,
0: it's, it's very difficult to compete with gasoline vehicles. But, you know, this is anecdotal evidence. I don't have the full data on it, but I think that that may be a reason. And so that's, that's where I have a question mark is, will the demand grow the same way? But at the same time, you know, when Tesla said to a lot of their consumers, would they would they accept an LFP battery car which had lower uh, lower range? A lot of people just said yes, we we will take that. And so maybe you know, consumer behavior is going to change, and consumer styles are going to change. I mean, we went from you know having cell phones that you know that yeah. charge overnight, and so we start applying the same kind of concept to to our cars. Most of the time, 80% of the time, your car is just parked, maybe less, you know, more 90% of the time, the car is just parked. So there's certainly no reason why it couldn't be charging except for infrastructure for that at houses, at, at grocery stores. And we'll, we'll see all of those things come up over time. And as it becomes easier and more convenient to own an EV, I think that demand will grow. But I think all of that is,
1: is happening over the next decade or should be happening. And I think the, the great thing about LFP batteries, you know, you just charge them to 100% and you don't have to think about anything. And I, I think it's very hard to even sort of early adopters at this stage who I know don't really know all the details of, you know, how it's best to charge your EV and they also get spooked if you talk to someone about oh it's better to charge to 80 percent or something and, not, and then all it gets complicated people get concerned that they don't know the details or they get concerned about doing it wrong or they, you know they, they think they get never charged to 95 percent or 100 percent you know so i think the lfp is a sort of a nice solution in that regard as well but just getting back to that battery ecosystem so you you know there's a lot in the battery ecosystem. So there's the mining, the refining. There's also, you know, like battery separate. we talked to a battery separator company and it's sort of the same story of, you know, like, well, more people need to invest in this. You know, people need to like, they're like asking for competitors because they're like, just, there's not enough investment in the sector. We don't need, you know, like we, we just need everyone to, to pay more attention to this. Do you see more of those? I mean, you're, you're involved in all of that a little bit more, a lot more than I am. Do you see it? More of those elements of the ecosystem also kind of settling or, or forming in these regions, or is it still just the the core, you know, mining, refining that you that you're that you're seeing have interest right now? In yeah, this? you know, it's a very very good point you brought up.
0: The lithium-ion battery supply chain isn't just lithium, right? It's uh, lithium is a part of it and it's a fundamental part of it. But along with lithium, there's cobalt, there's nickel, and there's copper. There's also graphite, there's separations, and then there's recycling. There's cell housing and other plastics that go into it, and all of those need to expand. We we have estimates that in the next, I can't remember the exact number of years, but over the next you know, 20 years, we're going to use more copper than humanity has used in its existence, that that is a is a big demand that has to grow. We so we will use more cobalt, we will use more nickel, and you know we'll use more graphite. And you know, there's companies like uh, Energy who are doing a graphite-free anode. So you know, those are options that are coming up. We have other batteries that, that I know, and other research groups like uh, Jeff Don's group in, um, in at Dalhousie University. We're trying to eliminate the cobalt from uh, from the batteries. So there's a lot of work happening. And are they all going to be bottlenecks? I don't know. But, you know, all of these things need to grow right. and need to be supported for that lithium transition to happen. And it is, it is a massive opportunity. It is a massive opportunity, not just from the perspective of economics, but it is a massive opportunity for the next generation of engineers. We have the opportunity to create a new industry we're at the at the cusp of you know what oil and gas might have been in the 1930s you know we're we're at that point but with lithium and we have the opportunity to to retrain a lot of engineers and scientists and workers that have been in traditional uh, industries to be ready for the next 30
1: years maybe even some of those Twitter software engineers could reach and yeah. <laughs> find a new, awesome. new engineering field or or apply other software skills. But yeah, it,
0: there's a lot of software that goes into battery control and management systems or, you know, there's a lot of software opportunities for second life batteries and how you integrate them. So yes, there is absolutely opportunity. And, and so I, I think, you know, we're at the cusp of a big transition, but we should, we should be excited about it. It's going to take our world in a, in a good direction.
1: Yeah, in a better I mean, direction. One bottleneck, you know, in one of those elements, though, you know, can slow down the growth. So exactly. I think you know we talked about a little bit the consumer side, but I think they can. Uh, I think you agree that the consumer side is always going to be well ahead of the supply side. I mean, this is we're seeing the crunch already, and it's just going to continue in different elements of the supply chain for the next decade, probably as consumer interest spikes, right? Yeah, so exactly. any any final we talked about a lot of stuff which has been a fun conversation but any final thoughts on anything we discussed or anything we missed um, that you would highlight.
0: No, I, I really enjoyed speaking to you. Thank you for having me on. Would would love to connect that we'll be in, I'm not sure where you are in Florida but we'll yeah. be in Palm Springs in uh, at the
1: end of January so there's a chance we should we should meet up. We should try. I'm on the other side. We, we have the best beaches on this side. You don't, know, the beaches are not good over there. So okay. you know, okay. if you want to take a little break to enjoy the best beaches in the world, you know, come over to, to Southwest Florida. But yeah, uh, I mean, we don't, have, it, it's your, yeah, I think coming from Vancouver, We don't have the same beaches. I will enjoy it. Well, well, you're going to be like, you know, Vancouver is much nicer. But the one thing we have is the beaches. So the beaches and the pools. So definitely make sure to enjoy them. And uh, hopefully I will connect with you either over there or over over here. But it was nice talking. We have to definitely stay in touch as you guys, you know, make progress in any of these directions that we talked about. I would love to, to get updates and follow up and, you know, of course, also get scoops on more of the of the supply chain and the ecosystem as you as you also do. So it would be you. our pleasure. Thank you so much. Have a great Take have yourself. a great evening. And Bye. for anyone listening, if you appreciate Clean Tech Talk podcasts and this interview with Saad Dara, especially, please uh, remember to to like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you're listening, on YouTube, anywhere you're listening. And thank you for listening have a good day thank you for listening to clean tech talk join us next time to get your electric fix
0: if you would like to sponsor our podcast send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com that's a c c O U N T S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks.